0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigowski. And today we have Katie Mullen. Guess what? Not one, not two, but nine years in medical device sales and now runs her own consulting practice. Nick,
1: why should people listen? Katie gives us some practical applications for using silence as a selling tool. And she's also done so many physical product demos that... I got a ton of takeaways that actually carry over to my software sale. This one was a really unique listen and I had a lot of fun with it.
0: 3 2 1 Don't be awkward and silent. Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes.
1: Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales Sales Day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes.
0: This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like How do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes.
1: Katie, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three.
2: All right, well, my first tip is for when you call somebody on the phone. So I'm a big fan of using silence when you talk to somebody on the phone. And what I mean by that you know, is, I've done a lot of customer research and obviously done a ton of calls on my own. And what I find works really well and what customers really love is when you just simply introduce yourself and you give them an opportunity to get off the phone if they need to. Now, that doesn't mean that you're losing this opportunity to get to them, what it means is that if they are busy, you really do need to let them off the phone. It's one of their pet peeves when somebody just drones on and on and on. So I, one of my favorite um, openers is just to say, hi, I'm, my name is Katie Mullen. I'm calling from whatever company. And just silence and let them lead the conversation from there. They might be like, hi, how are you? And then you know it's going to be a fairly friendly conversation. Or if they're like, "I," you know, they sound swamped, then you say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, maybe I should try back another time. And then you're building that trust because you actually do call back another time. And you actually say, I'm sorry, I caught you at a bad time last time. And I have had so many times where people will thank me and say, thank you for understanding. And thank you for letting me get off the phone that time. And they're much friendlier because you started that trust building. And the other one that I really like is I don't like to say, did I catch you at a bad time? Uh, Because people often will just say, yeah, you did. What I prefer is to say, are you swamped? I think feel like the nuance of that using those words is huge because they often will want to say the opposite. So if you say, are you swamped? They'll often say, no, I'm good. What's up? So to me, that's a huge one. Now, my next actionable tip is about video messaging. I am a huge fan of video messaging. I didn't do it that much before COVID, but I feel like it's huge and it's just If you're not doing it, you're missing a huge opportunity in sales, in my opinion. And my my big actionable tip is don't ever send it as an attachment because it's going to get blocked. It's going to be too big. You're going to deal with all these issues. Now, if you're sending it through LinkedIn, you can send it directly as an attachment, but only if you're first degree connected to that person. If you're not first degree connected, you need to get first degree connected before you send it. But if you're sending it over email, which I never do as a first one, because I feel like it's too it's just too in your face. I do it always as a follow-up and you got to upload it to YouTube or Vimeo. There's all kinds of services. So I would do it through that way as a second, third, follow up, that kind of thing. And then my last actionable tip is regarding subject lines. The shorter the subject line, the better. There's tons of data and research out there on this sales loft and others. I've done my own research on it. If you can even get a one word subject line that works best um, some of the ones that I like best are just follow-up, but it actually has to be a follow-up. You actually have to have reached out to them already in some way, whether it's LinkedIn or video, I'm sorry, or a phone or email. And then, so it's that way it's honest. You honestly are doing a follow-up. So those are my three actionable tips.
0: <laughs> right on. righty. We haven't talked about cold calling in a minute. So when we're hitting the phones, you don't want to just have a really uncomfortable silence like that right? My guess is you're intentionally using silences. So what are other parts, whether when you're handling objections, whether it's after you give your value prop that you're using silence intentionally, so you're not just blabbering at your prospect?
2: Actually, I think I I would have to say that I think an uncomfortable silence is okay. Because if that's what, in my opinion, why we as salespeople have this tendency to, you know, just go on and on and on and on and on without taking a breath because we don't like that uncomfortable silence. And I think we have to force ourselves to take that uncomfortable silence because it forces the customer to fill it because they don't like the uncomfortable silence. And so it allows them to lead the conversation in a way that we can't do if we're not forcing ourselves to have that uncomfortable silence. And you know, one of the pet peeves that I found when I did, I researched hundreds and hundreds of customers and asked them, you know, what do you like when people call you on the phone? What do you not like? And they all said, I hate it when they just launch into this big, long thing and don't give, and don't give me a minute to respond. So I love uncomfortable silence <laughs> and not just for phone prospecting either. I mean, I like it for many reasons when you're doing questioning. I, I think it's really important to ask a question and say, I don't like the words, tell me more about that. I like the word, oh. And then you let them fill that silence, because if they say, I don't like this about my current one, a lot of times we want to latch on and be like, oh, tell me more about that. What don't you like about that? And I think I like a little more subtle approach and just say, oh, and then have that uncomfortable silence. I think
1: it's super powerful. So I want to talk about this cold call, like what happens next? So they've said, no, I'm not swamped. What's up? What do you say there? Because I've heard all different takes on we're the leading provider of X or asking a really insightful question about how they're doing a really niche task. So what's your approach to all right, they've given you permission to speak. Now I'm trying to get their attention.
2: Well, I definitely wouldn't say we're the leading provider of X, because again, going back to my customer research, that's one of the biggest customer pet peeves, is for when people start off with that. You know, when you're doing a call, it's all about them. You got to make it about them and not about me. You know, if you've interrupted them. And hopefully, you can get it to a way that you, that it's interesting to them. So let me tell you exactly how my calls go. So I do a real simple: Hi, my name is Katie Mullen. I'm calling from whatever company. And then often I say, "Are you swamped?" And then if they say, "No, I'm I'm good. What's up?" I say, "I wanted to call and introduce myself. I'm the new sales rep for X." And then I have silence, and I let them fill that silence. And if they say, Oh, you know, and if it's, if they don't feel like they're taking it anywhere and then I need to take it, I say, what are you guys using for that right now? So if if it's a, for example, I used to sell vital signs monitors. So I would say, what are you guys using for vital signs monitors right now? And then again, silence. And I let them fill that silence. And if they say, oh, we're using XX and X, then I would go ahead and say, oh, is that working out pretty well for you? And do you see how I didn't say, what don't you like about that? Or are they old monitors? Or are you thinking you're going to be changing them soon? I say, are they working out pretty well for you? Because again, they like to do the opposite. So if you say, are, is that working out pretty well for you? Often they will say, not really, you know, they're, they're fine, but you know, blah, 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 blah. And then use that silence. Do not interject and say, oh, that's so great because ours actually don't do that. Or, you know, we've had really great luck with that. You just Absolutely, let them fill that silence and get, and you're busy taking notes the whole time they're talking, because then they're arming you with all the information that you're going to need later to get that deal.
0: And what happens in the other situation? Because I get people all the time where they're like, it's fine. I don't know what to say next.
2: So, what I like to do is what's called wedge questioning. So, if I know in the back of my mind that one of my big questions, one of my big advantages is my battery life. I'll say, oh, okay, so is battery life ever an issue for you? And again, I try to be very subtle with that. I like the word ever because it's not like, is battery life a big issue for you? No, not really. Is battery life ever an issue for you? And it gets those cogs going. So they're thinking to themselves, you know, yeah, actually we did have somebody complain about the batteries just last week about that. And if they say, no, batteries aren't an issue, then I move on to the next one. Oh, really? Well, what about... Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I continue with those wedge questions where I'm not just going in guns blazing and saying, well, our battery life is so much better than your competitor. I'm finding out what's actually important to them.
0: And so this is one thing that a lot of people tend to screw up is they feel like they need to talk to handle objections. They feel like they need to say things when they hear a competitor, but instead what you're doing is, you know, what you do better. You know what's wrong about their situation. And you're just asking an intelligent question to get them to talk about it. And so take what you're doing against your competitors, find your top three items that you win those battles, and then just formulate questions around those instead of vomiting competitive battle cards all over your prospect and then making them hang up on you right away. Is that is that your general approach to it?
2: For sure. Especially because just because you think that you have this great advantage. It doesn't mean that they actually even care about it. So a great example of this was when when I was, you know, selling vital signs monitors as a new young sales rep. And we got this great new, you know, feature where we were going to be able to integrate with their charting system. So it was super awesome. You know, everybody had been asking for it. It was a bummer that we didn't have it before. And I remember my first customer, you know, sort of their objection, well, do you do you integrate with the charting system? And I was like, yes, actually, we do. And I launched in this big, long thing. This is how we do it. And they ended up saying, well, you know, we've actually tried that with our competitor and we hated it. So we're going to try to stay away from that. But thanks anyway. And that was actually, they were trying to get me off the phone because I was, you know, I should have just said, is that something you're looking for? Or is that important to you? And if they, then they would have said, actually it's not. And then I would have just not talked about that, but we have to figure out what's important to them before we just launch into this big, long stuff. We can't assume that we know sometimes it's the most off-wall thing. Sometimes it's like, you know, I wanted to be able to print a, a strip that's no more than one inch wide. You know, it's, sometimes it's the silliest things, and we would never know that if we're not asking the right
1: questions. Katie, that story kind of reminds me of an episode we did with Richard Harris, where he talks about the question behind the question. Somebody will ask you a question, and if you just punch them in the face with the answer... You might not have actually even understood that question, right? And maybe they 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 were meaning to ask a different thing. And so that sort of clarifying question about like what are you really trying to get to here is so important. Um, one of the things that you put in the prep doc was I think you have some ideas around some advanced questioning techniques as opposed to well any questions or ooh tell me more about that. So can you talk about what some of those like you know let's say we've we've done the cold call we booked the meeting customer shows up and now we're doing a little bit of discovery. What's sort of your approach there?
2: It's really important to go through and make a list of all the of your product features. You know, maybe, and this is, I'm talking like stuff that's on your, you know, white papers or, or your brochures or whatever. This is what I have that's great. These are my statistics, you know. This is what I think people actually care about. You've got to really come up with a full list of those and you've got to pre-plan your questions to match those before you even get into a meeting, before you get into a call. And I think that you can do those discovery questions either on the phone. You know, if you catch somebody on the phone that is being real chatty and giving you all this information, just keep going. Like, don't ask for a meeting. You know, you'll probably get a meeting out of it if it's going well, but get all that information first, because when you actually get there and do a demo, if you have all that information, you're going to be much more successful because you're not going to go in talking about the battery if they don't care about it. You're going to then group when you get into there to do the demo. If you've already done the questioning, then you're going to be able to say, well, thanks so much for having me. Last time we, you know, chatted on the phone. You told me that X, X, and X was important to you, and now that I'm here in front of you, I want to show you, you know, what our product can do. So, if you get that opportunity, I would do all that advanced questioning before you even get there. Now, if you can't and you feel like they're you're getting rushed off the phone, but they agree to have a meeting. That's when you go in and you don't even talk about your product. You know, maybe you don't even bring it in to the first meeting, Uh, but you certainly, if you do bring it in, you set it aside and you go in there with a pen and a paper and you start those questioning and because you still have to get that, you can't just go in and do a demo, you know, your standard 15 minute demo, because there, you might be speaking for five minutes about something they do not care about. And then you've completely lost them. So you've got to do that questioning before you ever do the demo.
0: So you start off your cold call talk about your product. They probably give you an objection about a competitor or this or that. Now you're hitting them with the wedge questions. And there's probably a certain point where instead of it being like pushing away, pushing away, pushing away, you've got a decent amount of interest. And what you're saying is if there's if they're now taking a step forward, don't jump off the phones right away. And so how do I know when is good time to strike when the iron's hot and set the next meeting versus continuing to keep peppering you with questions?
2: I mean, I think you just have to take the cue from them. If they seem like they're enjoying the conversation and they're continuing to give good data, just keep going because they're enjoying it. Now, it's pretty clear, in my opinion, when they are starting to, you know, maybe they'll get interrupted by somebody and they'll be like, hang on a second. And then you can hear them talking to somebody. And then you that, that's when you kind of are like, OK, they've, they've given their time. Or maybe they start to you can tell that just the difference between being super engaged to kind of like pausing and maybe you can tell they're checking their email or something. So that's when you say, well, you know, it sounds like you're real swamped. I'd love to set up a time to come in and show this to you. Would that make sense? I love that phrase. Would that make sense? Because it's not like, can I come in? It's, you know, that they might say, well, yeah, that that makes sense, but let's not do it yet or whatever. So anyway, when you go in for the, for the kill, I'm more of a a soft closer rather than a hard
0: closer. So we talked about. Going in for the kill, we talked about one major objection, competitors. There are probably some other common objections you get, like call me in six months, for example. Do you have a general approach to how you handle those types of objections? The more common swats you see out there?
2: Yeah, well, uh, real quickly, but I would say on the competition, another one of the uh, pet peeves that my customers told me was actually negative selling the competition. So if they ever bring up the competition, I would really advise you to just do not join in and say, oh, yeah, you know, I agree, that's terrible. (laughs) You know, oh, yeah, I had another customer who, you know, had that same problem. Just let them talk and and be a listener, but do not join into that negativity. As far as the, you know, let's call you and call me in three months. I love that. I think that's perfect because then what you do is you, you have permission again, it's trust building and it depends on your, what you're selling. You know, sometimes the sales cycle is shorter, but generally if you're selling something that's fairly complicated, the sales cycle is going to be longer. They do actually need to be interested and they do actually need to be close to a budgeting process or something because they're busy. They're not going to be interested in your product unless they actually need it at some time in the future. So I love it when somebody says that. Then when I, if they say call back in three months, I call back in two and a half months because they're not keeping track of what time they actually, you know, what time of year they told me to call Then I don't want to miss the boat. And I say, you know, we chatted on the phone three months ago. You asked me to follow back up. How's it going now? And you remind them that they asked you to follow back up. And so you're not missing that opportunity and they're not going to probably remember the conversation, but they're going to, if, if they say, oh, I asked if they think to themselves, oh, I asked her to follow up this, then, then now you really have a good call going because you've waited, you were patient and they asked you to follow up. So I'm a big fan of that actually. Sometimes what I find too, is if, if somebody's kind of feeling, you're not feeling it, you know, you're on the phone with them and you're just, it's not going well. You can tell, I, I love to say, well, it sounds like you're swamped. Would it make sense if I follow up with you in a month? Because a month is short enough that nothing's going to be happening too much in a month, and then when you call to follow up again, you've got that permission. I had one customer where I help, I called him every month for like a year and a half, and by the end we we had a great rapport going. He was like, "Man, you're you're persistent. I love it." And then when they finally did need my product, he really wanted to give me an opportunity because we had a rapport now. So I, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of the follow up time to follow up for sure. But you have to ask for permission. You know, I think that's the key.
0: So one of the things that I struggle with a lot is you'll get these people where you know there's a buying window in Q3, for example, and it's Q1 today. And I I don't know the cadence or the frequency to be keeping up with them so I can still keep the account, but I'm not being annoying, but I'm staying top of mind. And so do you have any recommendations, whether it's LinkedIn touches or email touches or just calling every once in a while to stay on top of your prospects when there's not an immediate selling opportunity?
2: Yeah, I think there's a couple things there. The first one I always do to make sure that you don't miss an opportunity is to ask them when their budgeting process begins. Because if you know they're going to be buying at a certain time, they're going to have to plan that ahead of time. So if their budgeting process begins in March, make sure you follow up with them in February or even slightly before that to make sure you're getting ahead of the budgeting process. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is, you know, research shows, again, going back to like Sales Loft has done a lot of research on this, varying the cadence is really effective. So, you know, maybe one day you f- follow up, you know, I think and I think it depends too on whether you're still trying to get that first contact with someone. Are you prospecting or have you already had a conversation with them and they're just not responding to you? So if you're prospecting, I think varying it is great. You know, I start off with usually like a week and then maybe do four days on the next one. And then another week and, and vary it. Let's say, however, that you have called someone, they asked you for a quote, and then they just, what I call go dark, you know, you know, not hear from again, you're like, no news is not good news. What should I do? Um, I, there's, there's several different ways to do it. Send them a video message, you know, get them to just say, Hey, I just want to make sure you got the proposal. And a lot of times that will just spur them on to at least say, yes, I got it you know, I think another great way to do it is to try to get them on the phone. I love to send an outlook message, an outlook invite, I should say. And I would only do this to somebody that you've already talked to who actually showed interest uh, because it's pretty brave. But I, but oftentimes, you know, they don't like to go back and forth and say, Oh, you know, how does Tuesday at four look? If that doesn't work for you, how about Wednesday at one? You know, just send them an outlook invite and then they can easily just reply and propose a new time. And that often really does get the meeting, you know, scheduled, just so you can at least do a follow-up and make sure they got the proposal, see if they have any questions.
0: That right there is the last 10% of meetings that every single rep drops is they say call me next week or they say let's get a call in the books next week. They send 17 times, customer looks at it closes it, and you never book the meeting. The moment you have any indication that they're willing to meet next week, throw the placeholder invite on the calendar. You can call it a placeholder and then send a couple other times if that one doesn't work. But people love to get in this calendar magic Outlook Google Calendar game, and it's a complete nightmare.
1: The copy that I'll write in that invite is if this time does not work for you, just decline the invite and suggest a better time that does work for you. And there still might be some back and forth, but the act of sending the calendar invite is like, we're gonna meet. Katie, you sort of alluded to your demo process, which is different than the demo process I do or Armand does when we're selling software. Like you were selling a physical product. You were walking into the office, carrying it with you, which kind of makes me think of the, the Will Smith movie where he's got the computer running around. And I imagine there's some nuances to doing a demo like that, a product demonstration. And talked about the discovery before like just showing the thing. Can you talk about some of the best practices when you're actually showing the physical product?
2: Absolutely. And I think even no matter whether you're selling software or an actual physical product because I've sold, you know, services too. That you have to remember there's a difference between a demo and a training. So when you're doing a demo, you don't have to show them every feature in the world that your product does. It, you're, you're just doing a demo. You're trying to get their tastes ready for the rest of the information. So I think sometimes people want to go through and give them every single feature and, and they don't need all that right now.
1: So what do you do when you, when you wheel the thing in there into the office and you take out your, your, your pad of paper and your pen and they're like, no, no, just show it to me? How do you respond to a situation like that?
2: Well, in theory, I've already got some information that I've gathered from them. You know, I I do like to follow their lead because there are different personality types that I think it's really important that we identify. If you, that sounds like what you're describing there is is what's called a driver in Miller Hyman. Um, And I'm a driver. And if so you have somebody like that, you 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 do, you gotta follow their lead. They don't want to chit chat. They don't care about the weather. They don't want to talk about their kids, even though they like their kids. They want to get to it and you got to respect that. But hopefully you've at least gathered some information. But if you haven't, you still start your demo. And then as you're going through it, you say. Now, here's this feature. Wait, would you guys act? Do you guys take temperatures in this on this unit? And then you still are asking those questions, but you're doing it actively throughout the demo process.
0: And so when you've got someone who's very direct and to the point, what are some differences that you're doing in discovery and demo versus somebody who's a little bit more chatty, fun to work with, is willing to go back and forth with you?
2: Well, succinct. You've got to be super succinct. Um, and and sometimes people is confuse an analytic, which is what the term that I use with a driver. So the the they're kind of similar, but an analytical person wants all the information. And they do want it now, but they want tons of data. And a driver, you know, we m- what a phrase that I use a lot is that'll do. You know, I use that in my personal life, I use it in my business life, like that'll do. And so I think that's it's, it's important to keep it super short. And you got to read their cues. You know, if but the thing about a driver that's good is that they're going to interrupt you and they're going to tell you what they need. Particularly as a as a customer, I did a webinar a couple I don't know last month or something with a um, like a CEO and a and a chief nursing officer and all these people, and it was hilarious because the CEO was so she would say, "I tell sales reps if you get past one sentence, I'm not going to talk to you." <laughs> and so I mean, it was a perfect example of, but she was leading the leading the charge. So as long as you follow her, you're going to be fine. I think it's important to keep it interactive and ask those questions. Like, I think, I think you can very simply say there is actually this feature that allows for, you know, you to take pressures on neonatal babies. Is that something you guys, you may show you that feature. And if they might say, well, yeah, you never know. We might get a baby here and then, or they might say, no, absolutely not. No babies, (laughs) you know? So you just, you keep it interactive and you ask those questions. And again, leave, leave that room for silence because it will force them to, to fill that silence and allow you to lead the demo where they want it to go.
0: And so I want to ask one last thing here is we've talked a couple times with these drivers and even on your phones where people are like pushing you along, rushing you along and, and maybe if we go all the way back to prospecting, it, one of the things we have trouble with is people are pushing you like, hey, just give me a quote. like how much does this cost? You even mentioned some people push you to give a quote earlier than you'd want. And so when you're prospecting, reaching out cold, or even when you're like first pulling out your demo, people are pushing you to give a proposal. Do you just give them the price and say, hey, you're going to get off when I need you? Or do you have something a little bit more subtle that you use to redirect them in the right place?
2: I like to use a range because if you are a driver, you do. It's it's so annoying when somebody, when you ask for something and you're like, just just give me a range. Like, I just need a range. So I think it's fine to give a range, but I do not get forced into doing a quote. And here's why because it can come back to burn you. If you assume that they're not going to need certain features, And then you give them a quote, and they budget for forty thousand dollars, and then they come back when it's time to buy it, and they're expecting something totally different. You've burned yourself big time. So I think that it's fine to give a range. Um, You know, sometimes they would say, "Well, what what was what's what's the general? You know, just what are we looking at here?" And I'd be like, "I mean, it could be anywhere from fifteen hundred to you know seven thousand, depending on which features you choose." You know, can I ask you a few quick questions about which features you need so that we can you know, drill down? And I usually explain that. I don't want you to budget. I don't want you to under budget because you're going to come back and be mad at me later. And I think most people respect that.
1: All right, Katie, this has been awesome. We've, we've gone through prospecting, really great discovery, some cool demo best practices that I actually think apply a ton to some of the software sales that Armand and I are doing. we got to move to the final question now. And so we talked about a ton of really great habits, some good questioning habits in today's episode. We got to talk about a bad habit now. And so my question for you is, what is one bad habit that you see most salespeople doing that you think they need to break, throw in the trash and stop doing because it's hurting more than it's helping?
2: Okay. I would say on the prospecting I have two, actually, if that's okay. Number one, do not talk about ROI on the first call. It is a huge pet peeve. Everyone does it. It's white noise. If you say something like, you know, if if I can show you how I can improve your ROI or I can show you how you, I can you can improve your costs, would it be worth your time to talk to me? Throw that in the trash. Do not ever use it. Nobody likes it. Customers hate it. Now, the other one, and you guys feel free to not use this on this episode because I know it goes contrary to what you guys believe, but I do not like the permission-based Questioning, because I think it puts you in a position of inferiority from the beginning, yeah. and so I would never say like, "Can I get permission to ask this?" Blah blah blah, because you're just it, it's fluff. You're wasting their time. Just ask it, you know, because your time's valuable too. You're a person too, and you have a job to do. And I, I just I would definitely not do that. I would not. I don't like the permission base. But feel free to strike that, and you could just.
1: over oh, we're keeping it. it. I love when we get. You know, I mean, that's how we all get better. Is you have a stance on, I have a stance on it. What The way I sell doesn't work for how Armand sells, doesn't work for how you sell. So I think it's important to have opinions that don't necessarily agree with each other. So keep all of that, editor. Um, <laughs> this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you want to plug before we jump off here?
2: Yes, I do actually. So, traditionally, I do sales training for sales teams where people will hire me and I'll train their whole 20 person team or whatever. But I've been getting a lot of requests lately to train individual people. And I have finally had the time to put together a what, sort of a boot camp. So, I'm going to be uh, starting a boot camp in April where individuals can sign up. We're going to cap the class at 20 people so it can be real interactive and it'll be like a combination of video modules with, uh, uh, weekly calls to, you know, and it's going to be everything from how to write a good letter or what, you know, more in depth on prospecting and, um, what to do in a meeting and video messages and all kinds of things. So if you want to come check me out on there, I'd love to have you.
1: Beautiful. Everybody go check out Katie's stuff online. This has been a blast stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Cheers.
0: Your zoom info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's moving up.
1: steal them.
0: Your top four takeaways from this episode with Katie Mullen include, number one, do not bash your competitors. Instead, ask your folks, hey, what do you like about X? And that will lead you in the right direction of where you need to dig in more. Number two, when they're saying things like, hey, like, we're, we're all good. We're all set. It's perfectly fine. You're going to start using wedge questions. If you know that batteries are a common issue with your competitor, You're going to ask, hey, well, it sounds like everything's going well. How are the batteries on that thing? And then that will lead you in the right direction instead of just bashing the competition. Number three, when you're not sure when to follow up with somebody, you can default to one of two things. One, you can say, hey, mind if I hit you back in a month? Or two, try to find their budgeting cycle so you know exactly when to kick off that next buying window. And then lastly, number four, when somebody goes dark on you, send them a video, Ask them if they got that proposal. If you've spoken with them before, you can force the calendar invite too, but don't just keep blasting them with emails. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out?
1: Share this podcast with somebody who works in sales. The best way that I've leveled up my selling game is talking about the content that Armand and I are recording here. He and I talk about the episodes that we record every single week. And it's actually helped me level up a ton as a seller because engaging with the material allows my brain to actually absorb it and put it into play. So my recommendation to you is share the show with someone you can talk about sales with. And it also helps me because we get more listeners. Please. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club.